the psalmist writes, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail with longing for thy salvation and for thy righteous word. Deal with thy servant according to thy loving kindness and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken thy law. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right thy precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you watch over us. We do thank you particularly that those of us who are your children, you have a special care for each and every one of us. You know all of the details of our life, and yet you still love us. You still care for us. You still watch over us. And Father, you are always seeking our best possible good. And one of the good gifts that you have given us is your word. Your word, which reveals your mind, your heart, your will, your desire. And so now we would ask that you would open our eyes to behold the wonderful things that are in your word. And that by your spirit, you might enable us to live out your word day after day after day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my preparation for the message today, I came across a song that I've never, ever heard before. It's a song that I think is very fitting uh, for what we will talk about today. Uh, You don't have to worry, I'm not going to sing the song. Uh, I think most people know I can't sing, and I'm not even going to read all of the words of the song, but I do want you to get a little taste of what this song is about. It's entitled, Look to God. Look to God. And listen to some of the words of this song. There are circumstances way beyond what you can understand. Seems you're stranded, lost without a way. Staring at the ground, your head is down. May I offer you a hand. It's time to rise. Lift your eyes today. Look to God. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. You're not alone. See the one who will give you courage to press on. Look to God. The writer of Psalm 119, as I often say, loved God, loved God's word, and loved the ways of God. He wrote this magnificent psalm that contains 176 verses as praise to the word of God. The word of God was special to him, and he 
writes this psalm as a tribute to the word of God. The psalmist encountered circumstances that were hard and difficult. He experienced living life on top of the mountain, but he also experienced life walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He knew hardships. He knew difficulties. And when you read these eight verses that we just looked at, the mood is that life is not easy. I'm sure I can get a witness to that, that whether you're a child of God or not, life is not easy. But these eight verses offer help. They offer a hand. They offer hope. When your head is bowed down, when you feel lost, when you feel stranded, when you're confused, when you don't know where to go or where to turn, the the psalmist provides help and hope and a hand to those who find themselves in that situation. And I realize not every one of you is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. For some of you, your your life is fine. And, And there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is, there will always come times in our walk with God where we will feel intensely the fact that life is hard and difficult. All of us will find struggles and difficulties in our life. And so we need to listen to this man who has written these verses because he's offering us a hand to help us in those circumstances that are beyond our understanding and our comprehension. He basically says to us that we need to look to God. We need to look to God. That's what he did, and and he helps us to learn that valuable lesson. We are really demanded and commanded by these verses to be living lives where we are looking to God at every moment of our lives. But in the case of the psalmist, he identifies three particular times that we must look to God. The reality is we must always look to God, but he identifies three particular times in which we are to look to God. Look to God when you're living righteously. And that might sound strange, but I think it's a good reminder because a lot of times we think if we're living right, if we're pleasing God, that it's almost that we don't need him. And the psalmist is trying to communicate to us that we need God at all times. So even when we're living righteously, even when we're living faithfully, even when we're pleasing God, and and that is possible. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but, but we can say that, God, I am pleasing you. I'm honoring you with my life. And so when we look at verse 121, the psalmist proclaims that he has done justice and righteousness. He says to God, God, I have done justice. 
I have done righteousness. And we need to keep in mind that our God loves certain things. And one of the things that he loves, according to Psalm 33, verse 5, is that God loves righteousness. God loves justice. And God wants us to reflect what he loves. And so the psalmist in his life made it his aim, his goal, to live an ethical life, to live a life of integrity. He made it his goal to practice and do that which is just and that which is right in the eyes of God. And I just need to remind us that in our culture, our Christian culture, it is right, it is proper to live righteously and ethically in times which we find ourselves. I just want to remind us that being godly means also that you live a life of integrity. Don't, don't ever forget that. Don't let, every, let anyone delude you into thinking that when we have good theology, when we believe the right things about God, that we don't stand up for that which is right and that which is just. When I used to teach Greek in seminary, there was a, an individual that I became familiar with. His name was Granville Sharp. He lived in 1735 to 1813. And any person who studies Greek for any period of time encounters this individual named Granville Sharp. He was a Greek scholar. He wrote a rule, so to speak, that's still valid today. And it's not important for you to know the rule, but I just want to stress to you, he was a Greek scholar. But you know what else he was? He was an abolitionist. He knew God's word as a Greek scholar. And at the same time, he lived an ethical, righteous life. He stood up for that which was just and righteous in the eyes of God. And so in his mind, as he studied the word of God, as he studied his God, it, it demanded that he would call an end to slavery. It, it didn't matter how much Greek he knew, and he knew a whole lot, but, but, but that knowledge of God's word resulted in him living an ethical life. He could not ignore various sins of racism and sexism, etc. He stood up for that which was right, that which was just. So the psalmist lived an, a righteous life. But even though he lived a righteous life, he needed God. He needed God. And, and so when we come to our text... The last part of verse 121 and verse 122, we see how he expressed the fact that he needed God. And the best way to express that you need God, that I need God, is that we cry out to God in prayer. And so he prays three different prayers at the end of verse 121 and also in verse 122. After telling God, I, I have done that which is righteous and just, he says, God, don't leave me. Don't abandon me. 
to my oppressors. So even though he loved God and loved the word of God and the ways of God, life was not easy for him. When you read these verses, he talks about his enemies. He calls them the wicked. He calls them the proud boys. And here he calls them oppressors. He was being oppressed in what manner we don't know. But he says, God, I'm calling on you. I'm crying out to you that even though I'm living right, even though my life is faithful, I'm crying out to you, God, to not abandon me, to not take your hands off of me, to not leave me to my oppressors. And what's good to know when you come to the New Testament, as a Christian, God has promised never to leave us and never to forsake us. Others will leave us. <laughs> Others will forsake us. But the Christian can rest assured that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, will never, ever forsake us nor leave us. The psalmist also prayed in verse 122, God, be surety for, thy, for my good. We don't talk like that, but what the psalmist is saying, God, I need you to take a pledge. I need you to be responsible for my well-being. He wants to enjoy the good life, so to speak. And he knows that he's not capable of accomplishing that in his own strength. So he cries out to God. God, would you be responsible for my well-being? God, would you make a pledge that things will be right with me? That's what he prays. And when we're in difficult times, when we're in hard times, when we're being oppressed, cry out to God. Ask God. Call on God to be who he says he would be. He says he's a rock. He's dependable. He's faithful. He says he's our shepherd. So call on him. Cry out to him. And the psalmist also prays a third prayer at the end of verse 22. He says, God, do not let the arrogant oppress me. I just want to remind us that you can love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can love others as you love yourself. But that doesn't exempt you or give you a way to mean that you won't experience problems in life. The, the arrogant are all around us. And, and they're going to start oppressing the people of God more and more if we're willing to stand for what the Bible says and teaches. It's going to happen, my friends. And, and the psalmist says, God, don't let the arrogant, don't let the proud boys, don't let those people who don't follow your word oppress me. And so when is it appropriate to look to God? It's appropriate even when you're living righteously, even when you're living godly. Do not be deceived or into thinking that, well, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I will automatically experience his blessings. No, you can be living the way that God wants you to live and experience 
oppression, from those who are wicked, those who are arrogant, you can go through difficult times. So you better make sure at all times, and particularly even when you're living righteously, make sure you cry out to God to help you. Look to him. There's another particular time that we need to look to God, and that is when you've grown weary. When you've gotten spiritually tired and weary and fatigued, that's a good time to look to God. And I'm not talking about, the psalmist is not talking about getting weary from the the hardships of life, so to speak, his job, his work. He's talking about getting weary, waiting on God and looking for God to act. And that'll become clear. Uh, When you look at verse 123, he says, my eyes fail with longing for thy salvation, God, and for thy righteous word. My eyes fail. Really, he's taking us back to what he wrote in verses 81 and 82. When you look back at those verses, the psalmist says, my soul languishes, my eyes fail. And here the psalmist is reiterating that. He says, God my eyes fail. Fail doing what? My eyes fail looking for your salvation, for your deliverance. I'm in this difficult situation. I got enemies who are wicked and evil and arrogant. They're oppressing me. And God, what I'm doing is that I'm waiting for you to act. I'm waiting for your salvation, not spiritual salvation, but physical salvation. He wants to be delivered from his situation. God, I'm waiting, and I'm waiting for the promises of your word. I I know what your word says about you. I know how you say that you will comfort and deliver your people. God, here I am. My eyes are, are longing and looking for your deliverance and for the fulfillment of your word. And you know what? He says, I'm at the point now where I can't see it. He's blinking his eyes with the hopes of keeping them open. But the bottom line is his eyes are shutting. He's at a point spiritually where he's almost given up, where he can no longer long for God's deliverance and long for the the promises of God to come and be a part of his life. My eyes fail. That's his spiritual condition. But that's a good time. Uh, When your eyes fail, when you are spiritually weary and tired and fatigued, when, when you seem like you can't hold on any longer, When you seem like the breakthrough is not coming and you're waiting patiently on God, you're waiting for his word, you're waiting for him to move and act. And there are times where God does not immediately act in our lives and do the things that he wants, that we want him to do. And the psalmist was there. He's saying, God, 
I hardly see your salvation. I keep longing for it, I keep looking for it, and I can barely see it. So what does he do? He looks to God. He turns to God. He doesn't abandon God. He doesn't give up on God. He doesn't take matters into his own hand. Sometimes when we find ourselves in difficult situations, in hard situations, what do we do? We throw in the towel. Let me go find a new mate. Let me go find a new job. Let me go find even a new church. God, I've been waiting for you to work and move and nothing has happened. The psalmist is waiting on God. He's longing to see God's salvation and experience the promises of God's word. And it's not happening. But he doesn't throw in the towel. He doesn't abandon God. He keeps living his life for God. He turns to God. And the best way to turn to God is to talk to him. (laughs) To open up your mouth and cry out to him. That's what the psalmist did in verses 124 and 125. In verse 124, he prays a general prayer. He that says, God, deal with thy servant according to thy loving kindness. God, deal with me. And as you deal with me, the standard, the measuring stick, the yardstick that I want you to use is your loving kindness. You see, this man knew something about God's loving kindness. And some people call it God's grace. Some people call it God's steadfast love. I just like to refer to as God's love, which is kind, and his kindness, which is loving. His loving kindness. That's who he is. And he will operate, and he will function, and he will work in our lives according to that. And that's what the Psalms are saying. God, just deal with me. Just deal with me, God. Do toward me, but what you do toward me, the way you deal with me, make sure it's a reflection of the fact that you are a God who is love is kind and whose kindness is loving. And sometimes that's all we can say. God, be gracious to me. God, deal with me according to who you are. The psalmist had learned some things about his God, and he knew that his God was kind and loving. But he also made some particular prayer requests at the end of verse 124 and also in verse 125. I like to call it this, his prayer sandwich. Some of you remember a couple of Sundays ago, we talked about the psalmist praise sandwich. That is, he structures his word in such a way where there's meat and two slices of bread. But but the psalmist engaged God with his prayer sandwich. The, The meat of his sandwich is when he says, God, I am thy servant. 
He has a relationship with God. God is not, quote, the man upstairs. God is not somebody who's way out there. The psalmist says, God, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. And that's the proper relationship between the human being and the God of heaven and earth. And if you are in a relationship with God because you have repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ, if you have that personal relationship with God, how do you describe that relationship? Is God your butler or are you his butler? Can you say to God, God, I'm your servant. That's my relationship to you. I'm committed to doing what you have called me to do. I'm committed to fulfilling your will in my life. And when you are committed to that, when you can say I am God's servant, then you're going to pray the way that he prayed. That the slices of bread, the first slice, teach me. The second slice, give me understanding. See, see when you're God's servant, one of the things that you want, you want a deeper, better understanding of his word that's manifested in the Bible. It ain't no need talking about I'm God's servant and you don't want to live for him. You see, the only one who's going to be crying out to God, teach me, give me understanding, is the person who understands that God is their master. That they are called to please God and live for God. And in light of that, they need to know the word of God. They need a deeper experience with the word of God. So the psalmist says, teach me with humility, with dependency. He says, God, teach me. That's one of his favorite expressions. In Psalm 119, at least 10 times he says that. Teach me. When's the last time you've asked God to teach you? Did you ask him as you came to worship today? God, I'm coming to worship not simply because it's a church anniversary, not because it's family and friends day. God, I'm coming to worship you and I want you to teach me. God is our ultimate teacher. And the psalmist says, that's what I need, God. As I turn to you, as I've grown weary, I've grown tired and fatigued, God, I need you to teach me. And not only teach me, the second slice, give me understanding. That's another favorite expression. So he combines it. And he says, God, I need to be able to grasp your word. I need to be able to put it together. I need to see how two plus two equals four. I need wisdom from your word. Why? He said that I may learn thy statutes. And so when you've grown weary, my friends, when you've grown tired, it just seems like you can't hold on any longer and you're waiting for God to move, to act. Turn to God. Turn to God. Cry out to him 
in prayer. There's one last particular time that our text says that we need to look to God. And that's in verses 126 to 128. Look to God. When you are zealous for God to act. When you're zealous, you want God to intervene. You want God to take a step. The the psalmist has been longing for God's salvation and deliverance. He's been longing for the promises of God's word. He hasn't seen it. His eyes have grown weary and tired. And so he says in verse 126 that he wants God to step it up. God, I need you to do something. It's sad. There's a lot of times when we want God to act. We don't wait for him. Instead, we take matters into our own hands. The psalmist, instead of taking matters into his own hands, put his matters into God's hands. A classic example of someone taking matters into their own hands and going before God and ahead of God is a situation involving Father Abraham. You remember how God had promised Abraham a seed, a line. Abraham, no children, but you're going to have as many children as the the, the sand of the seashore. And you know what happened? His lovely wife, his wonderful wife, probably said, God act, God move. And she just looked around, doesn't look like God is doing anything. Let me help God out. Isn't that what we do? God, let me help you out. I I know what to do. I know what's best. So she came up with her plan and said, Father Abraham, I got this handmaid. Sleep with her. Go to bed with her. And Abraham, weakened, coward, wishy-washy man that he was, slept with Sarah's handmaid. And the rest is history. Two nations constantly fighting against each other. A mess. All because someone was not willing to wait on God. All because someone was not saying, God, I put the matter in your hands. So so you can feel from the depths of your heart, from the depths of your soul, that God should be acting right now. That's what the psalmist felt. Look at verse 126. He says, God, it is time for you to act. God, enough time has passed. By now, you should have intervened. And just in case you don't realize it, I'm going to encourage you to act. It's time, Lord. It's all, no, those are weird words. No, you're saying Lord, but you're not going to wait on the Lord. But he's saying, Lord, it's time for you to act, to intervene. Why? 
The, the psalmist is not really saying because he wants deliverance, but he says because these evil people are breaking your law. That's what he says. Lord, act because they've broken your law. And the idea of that word broken is that they made God's law void. They nullified it. It's almost as if they took their Bible and, and, and took a, a, a knife and cut out certain verses that told them how to live, where God gave them commands. It's like they, they went to John 13 and they cut out the, the, the word that says love one another. It's like they cut out what we read earlier today in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. Be holy. In their Bibles, they had written the word void. They had written the word N-A, not applicable. And I want us to understand that any time we sin, any time we violate God's command, in other words, what we're really doing, we're going to a particular scripture that commands us not to do a particular thing and saying, writing void, N-A, not applicable, anytime we sin. And the psalmist wants God to intervene, not because he wants deliverance. He wants God to vindicate himself. God, they're talking about you. They're laughing at you. Uh, they think they can just violate your word and it's no big deal. So he says, God, intervene. And so the psalmist looks to God. He looks to God and he expresses that looking to God as being loyal to God's word and loyal to God's ways. Let me quickly finish this by just pointing out how he expresses his loyalty to God's word. He turns to God by being loyal to God's word. He says in verse 127, Therefore, I love thy commandments more than gold, more than fine gold. He tells God once again, God, I love your word. These other individuals who are breaking your law, who are nullifying your word and voiding your word, they don't love it. They're not loyal to your word. But I'm loyal to your word, God. I'm so loyal to it that I love it, that I cherish it, that I treasure it, that I commit to it. I'm committed to following it and obeying it. God, I love your commandments. Well, Psalmist, how much do you love it? He says, I love it more than gold, above gold. And not only above gold, but above fine gold. Can you imagine that? I was at the mall yesterday, and I was thinking on this passage in this verse. And I'm looking at all the stores around me, all the things that are being sold. And, and I, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if I were to put a copy of God's word on a bench. And, and I would tell the people at the mall, you can have anything in the mall that you want, I wonder how many would want the word of God. I wonder how many would say, I'll take the word of God more than these nice clothes, more than this nice furniture, more than anything and everything. 
The psalmist says, God, I love your word more than gold, above fine gold. That's how much he loved the word of God. And earlier he had said in verse 72 that the law of God's mouth is better to him than gold and silver pieces. He loved the word. That's not just talk. The fact that he wrote these 176 verses says he loves the word. And for us, if we love the word, what that means is that we will want to hear the word. We will want to read the word and study the word and memorize the word and meditate on the word. And more importantly, we will want to obey the word. Ain't no need reading it and studying it and memorizing and meditating on it if we're not going to keep it. The psalmist says, I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then he goes on and he says in verse 128, Therefore, I esteem right all thy precepts concerning everything. God, right are your precepts. They're right. Not some of them, but all of them. God, right are your precepts, not concerning something, but concerning everything. That's his attitude. That's his loyalty to the word of God, that God's word is right about everything. There's no subject where it's not right. There's no subject where the psalmist said, I need to defer to man rather than to God. And then he ends by expressing his loyalty to God's ways, God's paths, that is God's lifestyle that he wants for you and for me. He ends this stanza of eight verses by saying, I have restrained my feet from every false way. What a statement. He says, I was reading from another verse, but he says, I hate every false way. But the two go hand in hand. In, in verse 100, 101, he said, I hate every, I, I, I hate, I restrain my feet from every evil way. Here he says, I hate every false way. That is, any lifestyle, any path that doesn't measure up to God's way, He hates, and he's committed to make sure he keeps his feet off that path. So the psalmist's zeal for God to act, it did not result in taking matters into his own hands. He did not get ahead of God, but what he did was remain loyal to God's word and to God's ways. The psalmist lived before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen from the dead. He's ascended back to heaven and seated at the right hand of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the writer of Hebrews compares the Christian life to a race. To a race. And he says, if we're going to successfully run this race, then we need to depend 
and be encouraged by the faith of others. He says also, if we're going to run this race, we need to strip ourselves of hindrances and sins. He says, if we're going to run this race, we must resolve to finish the race. But the last thing that he says, he says, if we're going to run this race, we must focus on Jesus. His language is, he says, as you run, make sure you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. Literally, that you're turning your eyes from everyone and everything else by looking unto Jesus. As I run my Christian race, I'm to be looking to Jesus. And the songwriter, she had it right when she said, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look to God for salvation. Look to God for sanctification. Look to God when, when you are living righteously, when you have grown weary, and when you are zealous for God to act. Look to God. The psalmist said these are the three times that we must look to God. But really, every time, every moment, we should be looking to God. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you today and thank you for your word and thank you for what has been communicated to us through the psalmist. Father, help us to look to you. And particularly as Christians, help us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ by turning away from everything in every way. Lord, Christ is sufficient. He's enough for salvation, for sanctification, for the various circumstances of life. May we learn and may we practice looking to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.